Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. There's a parable that I've heard my dad use in sermons and in speeches for my whole entire life, where he talks about a young boy who worked on a family farm and his responsibility was to take care of the dog. And when he was a young child, maybe five, six, seven years old, he forgot to take care of the dog one day and something ended up happening to the dog and the dog ended up either running away or dying and the dog was no longer there to help care for the family farm. And this young boy felt so guilty about what he had done that he went to his father, he expressed how sorry he was. He couldn't believe he had done it. And his father said, it's okay, son, we'll get through it. It it was just a dog. You're okay. We're okay. We'll move forward. But from that point forward, at every birthday that this son had, at his college graduation, his high school, at his high school graduation, at his college graduation, when he got married, all he could remember was the guilt he felt of how he had let his parents down, how he had not done his job the way that he should have, and how sorry he was for what he had done wrong. To which every time the father would respond and say, son, I have forgiven you. But the son couldn't feel it. And because he didn't feel forgiven, he was overcome with guilt and he wasn't able to move on from that. In today's episode, I am joined by Dr. Joe Beam, who is not only an amazing man, but also the original teller of that story to me. He is my father. And every time that I heard my dad tell that story, it would always be in a speech or a sermon surrounding the need for forgiveness for ourselves, accepting forgiveness for something that we've done from other people, from God, or even just from ourselves. There's probably something in your life that you feel guilty about. We all have something. Maybe it's something from your distant past or your recent past, but whatever it might be, guilt is not a place that you need to stay. It is a necessary emotion, and Dr. Beam and I or dad and I talk about what that looks like and why it is necessary and what the purpose of guilt is in our lives. But it's not a place you need to stay for your whole life. In this episode, we talk about the need for it, how to move past feeling guilty, and how to live in complete freedom of forgiveness. Hey, my name is Kimberly Beam Holmes, and this is It Starts With Attraction, where we discuss how to become the most attractive that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as us insiders call it, the pies. You can become more attractive to others and most importantly, to yourself. We will teach you how. Let's dive in. 
So a couple of weeks ago, I asked my audience questions that they had. What what did they want to know more about? What were they struggling with? And one of the most common responses I got back was people asking, how do I overcome my own guilt and how can I forgive myself for things that I've done? And when I saw those questions, I thought, I know the perfect person (laughs) to bring on and talk about that subject and answer that question because he's literally written the book on it. Dr. Joe Beam. <laughs> the book's been out for a while. When it first came out, it was called Forgiven Forever. That's when it was in hardback. And now in softback, it's called Getting Past Guilt. And yes, I wrote it many years ago. What's so cool about how this is even coming up is you had your own experiences with getting past your own guilt, forgiving yourself. And I definitely want us to get into that. But one of the one of the things that sparked this question in a lot of my listeners was a couple of weeks ago, I had Alan Lisa Robertson on mm-hmm. the podcast talking about their book, Desperate Forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And of course, you are one of the chapters in that book. Yeah, I'm, I'm just happy. They're really good people, as you know. You know them. They're just awesome human beings. And I was happy to be a, a part of their story of helping them get to where they are today. But basically, through the book you're talking about, it wasn't so much me dealing with them directly. It was them, actually, Alan, working through the book you just referenced that that's now called Getting Past Guilt. That was a benefit to them. All right. That's true. Well, I love it. And I love how all of it ends up working together. But when we're just thinking about approaching this this question, the, when people are asking it, when they're searching for this, you know, they are desperate. Mm-hmm. How do you help someone understand when they come to you and they say, how do I forgive myself for what I've done? What do you, what would you say to them? Typically the first thing is to try to help them understand that guilt actually has a good purpose. That guilt in the psychological, even spiritual realm, if you will, serves the same purpose that pain serves in the physical world. For example, if you could feel no physical pain, then you'd be in trouble because people who can't feel pain, if they were out to uh, touch something that was hot and could burn them, they wouldn't even realize it. and They'd wind up doing great damage to themselves. And there are people out there who really can't feel pain. They have certain conditions where they can't and they're in jeopardy because pain in the physical realm says something's wrong. Fix it. In the same sense, guilt works in the in the psychological, emotional, and like I said, even spiritual realm. It says something wrong, fix it. People who don't feel guilty, who never feel guilt, these are the people that we wind up calling sociopaths or psychopaths. And these are people that do a lot of damage to a lot of people because they don't ever feel guilty about what they do. And so the first thing I would say, Kimberly, is, okay, be happy that you feel guilt. It actually says something about you. It says that you do care about other people. You care about the consequences of your own behavior. You care how you affect others and how you affect yourselves and how you affect yourself singular, I should say. And in that sense, rather than lamenting the fact that you feel guilt, rejoice in the fact because it says something really good about you. So then we move to the next step, which would be, okay, then what do we do about it? Right. Because it has to be one thing to feel guilty, but continue doing whatever it is you feel guilty. 
And then another option would be to stop doing it, turn, do something different. So where, where do you think people are when they feel guilty? I can't think of a better way to put it, but I don't mean it this way. A bad person, <laughs> if they feel guilty, but keep doing the thing that they feel guilty about. Well, it was a book that came out back, oh, I think it was in the 1970s. And the name of the book was Whatever Happened to Sin? And it was an interesting book because the, the guy who was a, he was a religious man, but he was really a philosopher of great renown. And as he wrote, he said, we're doing something wrong to culture and society. And, and, and he didn't write as an American. He was actually a European. And as he was writing about this, he said, you know, when people do things that cause harm to other people or cause harm to themselves, things that they would hear for have felt guilt about. We have developed a kind of psychology of saying, well, don't feel guilty. Whatever makes you happy is okay. Even if society says this is violating our principles by which we live, even if other people say what you're doing is hurting me, don't listen to them. Pay no attention at all. You just do what makes you happy. And his premise was, if you keep telling people the things that they're doing that are clearly wrong in the sense that they really do damage, they really do harm, and tell them, no, 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 that's not anything you should be guilty about at all. Then after a while, they become hardened to it. It's like, well, no, other people think that's a bad thing, but I know it's okay because I'm doing it and it makes me happy. And in that sense of bad people, like you just talked about, that's how they replicate more and more destructive behavior. I'll refuse to feel guilty because as long as I like what I'm doing, who cares how it affects other people? Who cares what they think? Who cares what they feel? Who cares what harm it does to them? And so one way that people have tried to eradicate guilt is by doing away with the whole system of right and wrong, that what's right is what I want. And that's it, period. There is no wrong as long as I want to do it. And so some people have dealt with guilt in that fashion, but by so doing have become in essence sociopaths, if not by the clinical definition of the word we've used in psychology, at least a social sociopath. What I mean is nobody matters but me, and therefore, I don't feel guilty about whatever the heck I do to you. For example, Kimberly, I just posted on, on, I like to put memes on my Facebook page because I try to avoid things that are (laughs) pain all day, every day. Uh And so recently, it was something about, uh, write something, what is one thing that you learned from your dad? Mm-hmm. Oh, hundreds of people responded to that and and typically pithy things that were very nice, but scattered all through there were people talking about their dads who had hurt them terribly, dads who didn't love them, dads who weren't there for them, dads who talked them by the very experiences and examples that the fathers lived, that life really was terrible and evil and all those kinds of things. And you'd think, well, how could a dad do that to a kid? Well, if that's the case, if these people are talking about what they feel and their experiences with their fathers, these then would be fathers who are those spiritual sociopaths or social sociopaths, I should say. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do no matter how it affects you. And and therefore, while the dad may not have felt guilt by being that mean, terrible person who ignored his kids and had nothing to do with them, or when he did, was always slandering and, and putting them down. He may not have felt guilty about that. But it definitely did damage to the kids. And so trying to do away with guilt by saying whatever I feel is right is destructive. And as a culture, as a society worldwide, 
we are reaping the consequences of that. And so I would definitely say, don't try to get past your guilt by doing away with the system of right and wrong. Now, the other thing you talked about was, or don't get rid of your guilt by doing what you're doing that's not good so long that eventually your guilt just becomes hardened anyway. That you really didn't change your system of what's right and wrong per se, but you just changed you. Like, I know it's wrong, but I don't care because this is what I do. And it's a little bit different than what I'm just saying. It's not like, well, whatever makes me happy is right. These people know what they're doing is wrong, but they've done it so long They've become hardened to it to the point where it doesn't affect them anymore. And that would be another way I would say is the improper way, not the good way to deal with guilt because it still leads to destructive behavior. So both those things we've mentioned so far continue to hurt, hurt other people and ultimately hurt the person that's doing it. So handling guilt that way or either of those ways is really destructive to humanity and ultimately to the person doing it. So if this is so what if this is a family member or a spouse or a child that you see involved in this destructive behavior is there any way to get them to feel their guilt in a way that they will change or do you just have to watch it happen Well okay let's say it's a child hopefully to begin with you've been teaching the systems of right and wrong what we call beliefs and values Mm-hmm. So that the child has been growing up with a concept of these are the right things to do. These are the wrong things to do. Hopefully would have started there. But if we're past that stage, you know, here's somebody doing something that's ultimately destructive. You can't control them unless you imprison them. What I mean is the only way I can stop you from doing this is if I lock you up in some fashion. Now, that could literally be in jail or it could be I put so much uh, control over you that feel that you feel you are in prison. And seldom does that turn out well, because the other person then becomes more rebellious and more likely to keep doing the things that are harmful and destructive. If anything is going to work, I think it would have to be the following that somehow you help them understand the damage that they're doing to other people. Unless they are truly sociopaths, hopefully, if they begin to comprehend the damage they're doing to other people by their behaviors, they would begin to want to stop those behaviors and then help them understand the damage they're doing to themselves. But typically, you're not going to accomplish that just by making those statements, like you're hurting other people, or what you're doing, you're going to reap what you sow, someday it's going to be bad for you. And just making those kind of statements, they typically don't believe you. They ignore you, like you don't understand. Mm -hmm. But if you could find a way to help them actually see, to visualize, to understand, to comprehend, that's when hopefully, again, unless they're just sociopathic inside, hopefully it's when they begin to think, wait a minute, I've got to stop that. Look what that's doing to you. And the better, uh, the quicker, I should say, the quicker that they can realize that, the more likely they are to stop the behavior. Because if they've been doing it for, well, let's say it's a husband and wife, for example, and let's say uh, she becomes involved with another guy and, and it begins to tear her husband apart. If up front, rather than chastising her, yelling at her, accusing her, those kinds of things, if somehow he were to communicate in such a way as to say, can you see the pain I'm feeling? I don't mean whining, begging and pleading. Those things typically don't communicate it well either. But can I help you understand? Can I tell you what I feel? 
Can we talk about these things? Then if he does that early enough, then maybe she'll stop that behavior that's hurting him. Unfortunately, if she gets involved in it too long, too far, and then he starts revealing the kind of problems, pain, detriment is doing to him. She may be so immersed in the new activity that she doesn't care that she becomes numb to him. So kind of a long answer, but the short version is, I think the most effective way is when another person finally comprehends what they're doing in terms of how it affects other people and themselves and really grasps that. Hmm. So what about the person who's in it? And whatever they're doing feels better than the guilt. How, if you were talking to them, if it was your best friend, how would you help them to do the right thing? Well, can you give me an example? So maybe I can illustrate better. Like what kind of a situation would you be describing here? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, hmm. So if there's a person who, let's say that they have been gambling, they've been addicted to gambling, they've spent the, mm-hmm. the fortune, the house fortune on it, right? Mm-hmm. They're just in it and they do feel guilty, but the, the urge inside of them is so much greater than the guilt that they feel, but they don't want to. So let's say that they really want to stop. Mm-hmm. But they don't know how to stop because the feeling they're chasing is greater inside of them than that feeling of the guilt they have. So, so now you're talking to them. How, what would you say to them? And let's say they're not hurting you because, you know, you're not being personally affected by what they're doing. How do you help them to see that the, be more sensitive to the guilt? Well, in that case, if they really don't want to do it, but they keep doing it because it feels so good, mm-hmm. I, I think that probably, at least in this country, uh, and it may be worldwide, but I'm I'm thinking in terms of America, that probably the best help for those people would be one of the 12-step groups. Mm-hmm. That if, and I've done this with people, you know, here's a guy that's drinking and it's causing some problems with his wife or causing some problems with him, yet he still winds up drinking, even though he knows it's causing difficulties. I would invite a guy like that, and I've done it on occasions. Hey, how about going with me to an AA meeting? And I take them to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And and they have a deal there. And I'm assuming all AA, I'm assuming all 12-step groups do the same kind of thing, where that if they know there's somebody there for the first time, they actually change the way they're doing the program. Hmm. And, and it's like they kind of give their, well, for lack of a better word, testimonies, so that that person can start saying, wait a minute, these people are like me. They understand. They've been where I've been. And when it comes to a person who keeps repetitively doing something they know is doing damage, they like it when they do it, but they feel badly about it and want to stop it. Typically speaking in America, the best solution for that is going to be one of the 12-step groups like Alcoholics Anonymous, Sexaholics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, um, Narcotics Anonymous, et cetera, et cetera. And people can find those groups and. uh, you know, online, Google it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is a different type of situation, but one of the things that I've been hearing more and more, especially the past six months are people who have mom guilt. Are you familiar with this? Not by that phrase. No. <laughs> so where they are 
working now they're working a lot of them are working at home and they don't feel like they're present for their children or they're not present enough compared to other moms and things like that and so they have this amount this you know mom guilt of I'm not doing a good enough job I'm not the mom that I should be and I think people in different positions feel that I just hear it a lot in regards to moms but men probably feel it you know, if they're working all of the time and not home with their kids or people who are single and they're trying to climb the corporate ladder and they feel guilty that they don't have a social life. So there's that kind of guilt too, where it may not be that someone's doing something destructive, (laughs) but they feel guilty about the choices that they've made. And they're wondering if they could have done better. Is that the same kind of guilt that we've been talking about? I don't think so. The kind of guilt I've been talking about so far is when you know you're doing something that is is harmful or destructive to you or to other people. Mm. In this case, I guess there's a possibility you're actually doing harm to other people. One of the people, again, back to that meme I posted, what's one thing you learned from your dad? One person posted never to be there. That's what I learned Mm. from my dad, never to be there. Wow. Just talking to somebody that we both know very well and uh, the other day, and she was talking about how that her father was never there for her. So that behavior could be destructive or harmful to other people. Mm-hmm. In that case, I think they have to make some kind of an analysis. Okay, maybe you do the old Ben Franklin thing. You draw a line on a piece of paper, and on one side you write, okay, here are the benefits if I do this, and on the other side these are the, the cons, so the pros and cons. And and maybe people will make a decision. Hmm, maybe I need a different job that doesn't make as much money, but I will be there for my children. But those are the things that have to be done on an individual case by case basis. Are there people who ignore their kids? When when uh, I was younger and traveling all over across America, speaking for all kinds of events, I was gone way too much, way too much. And and now I look back and wish that I hadn't been. I wish that I could go back and spend time with my kids now that I didn't spend with them then. I think it's better off for somebody when they're in the middle of that to come to those realizations and make that balance than, you know, to get, you know, 149 years old like I am. (laughs) And then look back and wish you hadn't done it. So it could lead to destructive guilt, but that's not typically the kind of guilt I've been referring to so far. Mm -hmm. But it still serves a similar purpose in the fact that it, there's a feeling inside of you of something's not right. Let me reevaluate. There you go. And that's the value of guilt. Something's wrong. Fix it. Now, if you don't fix the guilt, well, think about it now in comparison to physical pain again. People who don't get help for their physical pain, who can't find a way to handle it, become debilitated. Yeah. People who are constantly in pain become physically debilitated. People who are constantly in guilt become debilitated. There's, you know, it's like, I've got to deal with it somehow. I've got to get past this. And if they don't, it will literally debilitate them emotionally, mentally, and many other ways as well. So what about people who have done things that they have hurt other people, the decisions they've made, whether it's gambling, an addiction of some kind, an affair, they've hurt people. Mm-hmm. How do they move past that guilt? And can they, or does it always stay to some extent? They can move past that guilt. 
Of course, the first thing we would say is, if you're going to try to get past the guilt or move past the guilt, stop doing the thing. Yeah. And that's where, okay, I don't know how, I can't. Well, there are various specialties out there that can help you. For example, you know, the, the organization we work for, Marriage Helper, we've helped many people be able to stop their affairs and get back to their marriages and put them back together. So, you know, people like us exist that can help them do that. If it's the drinking, they've got Alcoholics Anonymous. If it's the drugs, they've got uh, Narcotics Anonymous, et cetera. So stop, stop. That's number one, stop it. And then find the people who can help you stop it. And don't think that it's going to happen just like that. You know, you're going to need some help to be able to do it. All right. Once that has happened, The next thing that I typically tell people is, okay, accept the fact that it did. If you're spending your time thinking, oh, I wish I could have those 10 years back, or I wish I could have those 10 days back, or whatever it might be, living in the past, lamenting, oh, if only, if only, that's doing nobody any good, especially you. And if you're going to be able to deal with the guilt, in addition to finding a way to help you stop doing the thing, or it might already even be over, Accept the fact that you did it. Don't deny that. And don't try to blame anything on anybody else that's your fault. If you really want to deal with the guilt, accept responsibility for your own actions. Because if I'm not accepting responsibility, well, yeah, I know I did that. But if my wife had only, or yeah, I know I did that. But, you know, if my dad hadn't been an alcoholic, or yeah, I know I did that. But, but, but. I don't think you're going to be able to find within you what you're looking for to be able to get past the guilt because you know deep inside that you're avoiding your own responsibility. You know that you're blaming other people. Now, might the alcoholic dad have contributed to it? Might the wife have contributed? Yeah, sure. But in essence, by the way that they talk about it, they're not accepting their own responsibility. And if you're going to find peace within, you've got to accept that it happened and accept your responsibilities that it happened. And then to the degree where it makes sense, and this is actually part of the 12 step program, you make reconciliation, you make up for things, you do atonement when it makes sense to do atonement. What I mean by that is sometimes people do more damage by going, trying to make things right. Hmm. You know, know what you really need to do now it's just, if, if there is something you can do to make up for it, go ahead. But don't think that that's going to make your guilt go away, just the fact that you made up for it. I stole your car, I take your car back, therefore I'm not going to feel guilty again. Not necessarily. But if I stole your car and take it back, that's a right step in being able to get past feeling guilty. And so whatever atonement you can do, that makes sense. But like, for example... This one woman said, I'm just going to need to tell my best friend that I slept with her husband. This was years afterwards. And I said, said, why? She said, because, you know, I just need to deal with my guilt. And I said, so you want to throw her into turmoil, tear her marriage apart so you can quit feeling guilty? That's that's not atonement. That's not thinking about her at all, just about you. And I begged her not to do it. And she did it anyway. And sure enough, destroyed the other marriage. So when you do the atonement, if you do the atonement, then then do what makes sense. And in the process to the people that it matters to and that you need to do this, you make confession. You tell them, I did it. I'm sorry. Because the more you try to hide it, the worse it's going to get. And if you try to lie about it, 
it's going to get even worse. And so I think part of the process is you just make confession as much as makes sense. You do make confession. You tell people what you need to do. Again, in the case I just gave you, I think that was wrong for her to do it to that woman. But, you know, um, we had many marriage problems back in the past. Alice and I did. I actually divorced her, went off and lived a terrible lifestyle for three years, asked her if she would take me back after those three years, and she did. And so I didn't try to hide anything from her. It's like, okay, part of being able to deal with the guilt, you you see, not just from her part of being able to forgive me, but if I want to feel healed, to use that word from that guilt, but I know that you really don't know what I did. In other words, I tell you just a little bit and I hide the rest of it and you say, I forgive you. There's still a part inside of me thinking I still feel guilty because she doesn't really know what happened. I lied to her. I deceived her. And that's why I think confession is good for the soul. The truth shall set you free. Now, that's not all of the process. It's just kind of the hem of the garment there. But going through all those kinds of things and then accepting forgiveness when it's given to you. Sometimes people want to keep beating themselves up like I need to be punished more. You're being too sweet to me, being too kind to me when when really. Once you've told them and you've been honest about it, you don't have to go into all the gory details, but you've been honest about it. And if the other person were to say, I forgive you, accept that. Believe that rather than thinking, no, 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 you've got to beat me up more for this. And so part of finding peace within is accepting the fact that other people can get past what I've done. Some won't, but I accept that too. And the ones who will, I accept the fact that they've forgiven me. And then you start seeing yourself not as the person who did those things, but as somebody different now, a new person, if you will. And sometimes, Kimberly, people have trouble doing that because they still find themselves occasionally wanting to do that other thing again. So, for example, I finally get sober, but when I get stressed, I find myself wanting a drink. Oh, it's Bill must be the bad me. I must be no good at all. The fact that you will occasionally have those desires again doesn't mean that you haven't changed. It doesn't mean that you're not on the right track. You can be on the right track and still those things occasionally come up again. So rather than writing yourself off and thinking you're no good, choose to see yourself as the new person, the one that has learned better. Well, I'm kind of going off on tangents now. So a lot of it involved in this, but those are some of the things that are key. Those are all so good. And And some of them even just take, there's a fine line between a couple of them, right? Because we were talking about confession, but then again, confessing to the people it makes sense to Mm -hmm. and don't do more damage necessarily Mm -hmm. in in trying to overcome that. So when you went back, did you go back to a bunch of people from the years you were divorced to confess and apologize? Or did you let some of them just go. Some I did. Some I didn't. Uh, the ones that made sense, I did. Okay. And, but not to everybody, not, not at all. I didn't make a list. I got to go all of these people, but if there'd been people I had more specifically hurt, I might have made a list like, okay, I lied about this guy and cost him his job. Then I probably would have gone to him. 
But but the fact that by divorcing Alice and leaving her for that kind of stuff, the damage that it did to other people, I didn't have a long list of specific things that I did to this person, that person, this person, that person. Whereas if I had, I'm pretty sure I would have gone back to each one of them individually. Mm-hmm. Do you think that process might be so overwhelming to people that they're like, I don't even want to try to make mm-hmm. the situation right? Yeah, absolutely. Back when all that stuff happened, I had been a minister to church. And of course, that hurt the whole church when I divorced Alice and left her. And a couple of years after we got back together, one of the leaders of that church called me, a good Southern man with an aristocratic Southern accent. And he said, Joseph, about time you came back down here and tell this church how sorry you are for what you did. To which I said, I can't do that. He said, yes, you will, October 10th. And he hung up. <laughs> and I went and talked to Alice, and she said, I think it's a good idea. And so I did. I drove down there and stayed, spent the night with that very guy, actually, Alice. And I did with him and his wife. And the next morning, got in front of that entire church and told them. So, yeah, I didn't want to do it. In that case, somebody had to kind of force me to do it. But it was still a good thing, and it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Speaking of church, so for our spiritual Christian audience who struggles with believing that God could forgive them for mm-hmm. what they did, do you think people struggle with that a lot? Oh, quite a bit. That's why I wrote that book. Actually, technically, I wrote that book for me. It was Alice and I had been remarried for a while, and uh, occasionally I still had bouts of guilt occasionally, even though I was trying to get past it. And I thought, well, I'm going to do a Bible study to help me get past guilt. And that's why the name of the book now, and then this in softback is called getting past guilt. It's not just about how to forgive other people. It's about how to accept forgiveness, Mm -hmm. feel forgiven. And for those of us who are uh, like me, Christians feel forgiven by God. And so that, that book is written from a Bible study standpoint from beginning to end, but yeah, it's it's a something a lot of Christians have long since been forgiving by God, but they still feel guilt. I call those people guilt caged Christians. The guilt does not exist before God. It only exists in your own mind. But because you still feel guilty, it's affecting how you think, what you do, and etc. God wants us to feel forgiven when he forgives us. And here's why. If I, if I feel dirty, getting dirty doesn't bother me. If I feel clean, getting dirty does follow me. So God wants us to feel forgiven because it actually takes some of the power away from the temptations that we face. Hmm. Hmm. That's an interesting point. So there's there's another dichotomy here, right? Because there's also the Christians that are like, God will forgive me of anything. And then they keep doing things they shouldn't do just to go to church on Sunday, get forgiveness, you mm-hmm. know do it all over again. Um, why, but why do you think it is that the, that some people take it, they can't accept God's forgiveness because it's so clear. Like when you read scripture, it's very clear that God will forgive anything except one thing, which I still don't know if I understand exactly what that is. Yeah, that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Maybe that'll be a different program. Yeah, it's different. But he'll forgive anything. I think that when when 
Christian people, for example, don't believe that God can forgive them either because other Christian people are treating them in such a way that they think if that's how they view me, that's how God must view me. I think sometimes that's it. Mm. And then I think sometimes it's because of the fact that they think of themselves as nobody is as bad as I am, not just because they did it, but because they still have a part within them that would want to do it again. And because of that, they think, oh, I'm not really penitent. I'm not really truly sorry. I mean, I've stopped it. I've confessed it. But still, sometimes I want to do it again. And therefore, I must be this terrible person. And God sees that in me. So God can't forgive somebody like me or that final thing you said or what I did is so bad. Even God himself can't get past that. A lot of different things like that that lead them to believe that God can't. But I know this God will. And as to that thing, and not only will, he does. And as to that thing you just said about, well, some people claim, oh, well, God forgave me. I can do whatever I want to do next, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I often have told people in those situations, you know, you can manipulate the church because that's full of people. And they'll think that you really are surrendered to doing what's right. But you can't manipulate God. And he sees right through that. And uh Okay, so just because you think the church all sees you as this wonderful person, but you know that you're just purely manipulating the situation to keep doing whatever the heck you want to do, uh, you're going to face God with that someday, and you can't fool him. Mm-mm. No, you can't, no matter how much you try. No matter. <laughs> no matter. So what is the appropriate way to respond to people who are overcome with guilt, they want to be forgiven. And let's say in this situation, they have hurt you incredibly, and you have a ton of words that you want to say to them. Well, I think what I have learned about that through my own sinfulness, the things I have done that have hurt other people is this, you know, you don't need to say all of those words to them. When they really, really hurt you, if they if they come to you and they're genuinely sorry, if they say, I know I hurt you and and they're confessing it, you know, they're not blaming it on somebody else. They're not blaming it on the situation, the circumstance, not even blaming it on you, but taking full responsibility of it rather than saying, "Okay, but first, let me tell you all the things you did. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's kind at all. It's like they already feel enough pain. What are you going to gain by making them feel more pain? And I think. As a matter of fact, from my experience, it's definitely true. And I think it's true for other people as well, that the three most powerful words in the English language are not, I love you. The three most powerful words in the English language are, I forgive you. And so when they say that and you look at them and you say, I forgive you, you mean it. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfectly past all those emotions, but you mean it when you say that, I forgive you. And then you move on without bringing that up again about God. It would say that he puts our sins as far away from us as the East is from the West, our sins and another passage. It says he will remember no more. Well, technically God can't forget anything. He's omniscient. He knows everything. So what does he mean when he says he remembers no more? What he's saying is I'm not bringing it up again. That's what he means. And so I think that's how you do it. If they, if they say, I'm sorry, they confess, you tell them that you forgive them, and then you demonstrate it by the way that you act. You may not become their best buddy again, but you don't do anything with animosity, anger. You, you just move past it. It might make it sound a little easier than it is. It's the pathway. Mm-hmm. 
Because we may not be able to control our thoughts, but we can control our actions. Yes, that's correct. And that may be, do you, do you think that may be part of what can keep people stuck feeling guilty is when the people in their lives continue to treat them guilty? Mm-hmm. After Alice and I got back together and Alice had forgiven me and we, uh, you know, we're well into our second marriage, churches began to invite me to speak again, which was not ever my intention. I never intended to do that. But finally, I was manipulated into that by a friend of mine. And that led to other engagements, which other engagements. And sometimes people would actually walk up to me to tell me that they had never forgiven me and never would. And to begin with, to begin with, that caused me pain. Mm-hmm. And then finally it hit me one day. And so this guy was actually speaking at a big event in Nashville. I wasn't living in Nashville at the time, but a big event, thousands of people there. I made a speech and afterwards this guy walked up and said something to that effect. I don't remember the exact quote, but something like that to me, to which I replied because I finally figured it out. I said, if you want to remember my sins and carry that burden, feel free. But God has taken it off of me and I will pick it up no more. Mm. And then I walked away feeling, okay, I'm free. I don't have to feel guilty because somebody hasn't forgiven me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's powerful. Well, I love this book. And I think it is a great book for, of course, people who are struggling with their own guilt and wanting forgiveness, but also for understanding how other people are in that space. Mm-hmm. And and getting empathy for that, because sometimes that can be difficult for, you know, if you're married to someone or you have a child or a best friend who's doing something that's hurting you so much, you could be thinking like, this is just a bad person or mm-hmm. maybe they have a, a mental disorder or something. How are mm-hmm. they doing this? But this is, it's just eye opening for it's like, no, they're just a broken person who are stuck, who is stuck in the middle of something right now. Mm-hmm. And that does describe a lot of people. Yeah, that's when uh, when Alan Robertson read the book. He didn't want to forgive her at all, not one bit. And his dad, and this is all public, just not speaking, you know, out of anything that's private. Dad's saying, don't you forgive her, don't you take her back. And he read this book and thought, oh, good grief. I need to recover. <laughs> and and so it helped him get that. It helped him understand how to do that. And they put their marriage back together. And now they, they're just a beautiful couple and doing mm-hmm. so much good for so many people. So, yeah, it kind of helped him get that. And I think it's done it for others as well. Oh, I believe it has, too. And I think the way that he, that they wrote that in the book was he was on a flight to Germany mm-hmm. to speak as a as a pastor. And he said, I'm not reading that book before I preach to these thousands of people because I cannot come like I can't feel this right now. I can't forgive her right now. I can't, which is so ironic. (laughs) He's a preacher. He's supposed to do these things. But he said no. But he ended up reading it anyway because it was a long flight to Germany. Well, he has to read it on the way back. Read it on the way back. Mm -hmm. Which is... I love it. And then I love how, so because of this, because of him reading that, they ended up making it work, saving their marriage. They write this book, Desperate Forgiveness, where in it, they put tons of people's stories about ways that they've forgiven that were just radical, which is so inspiring. And just the 
the domino effect that forgiveness, just forgiveness can have <laughs> is really powerful. powerful stuff. Yeah, it was powerful stuff. Well, where can people get this book? Well, I know they can get it on Amazon.com. I know you can go there and get it. Uh, I'm assuming, is it possible they can call Image International and get it that way as well? Or should they just go to Amazon? I think they can call us too. It's probably easiest to go on Amazon. But yeah, if you have trouble finding it, give us a call. Because I know that we have ones that we can send out and ship. I would be happy to yeah, do that. If you order it from MH International, then uh, if you wish, I'll autograph it for you. If you Look like. at that. I was wondering. Yeah. I was wondering. I can't do that with the ones from Amazon, of course, because they ship from Amazon warehouses. But if you order from MH International, then then uh, they can bring them by my office over here, and I can sign them for you if you want to do it that way. I guess they would do that by what? How would they get to International? MH International. I can't yeah. think. <laughs> so you can call the office and order a book, um, 866-903-0990. It's probably the best and easiest way to do that. Could you say that number a tad slower? I couldn't even follow that, and I know the number. <laughs> 866-903-0990. You can also find it on marriagehelper.com, of course. And I'll put it in the show notes so people can find it easily. But I love it. I love this book. I I'm really excited to um, share this episode. I know for a fact, tons of people are going to get hope and healing from what you said. Well, thank you for inviting me on to this. Here's my key pies takeaway from today's episode. While there was so much that my dad and I talked about, and I know that you gained valuable wisdom and insight, especially from him and his experiences The biggest thing that I took away from this episode was the fact that guilt is there to let us know something is wrong. It is an emotional version of physical pain. It's that emotional version of burning our hand on the stove to teach us that something is wrong and we need to fix it and not do it again. Emotionally and mentally, when we do something and then it doesn't sit well with us, It's because we know that we shouldn't have done it or we should have done it a different way. And that feeling is guilt. And that guilt is meant to raise awareness, to alert ourselves that we acted or did something in a way outside of our beliefs and value system. And it is simply a red flag waving in the air saying, this is something that you need to change. These could be smaller things such as I keep working overtime, I'm not spending enough time with my kids and I feel guilty about that on a day-to-day basis. Or it could be a larger thing such as I had a relationship with someone that I shouldn't have or I did something that I shouldn't have. I told a lie that I shouldn't have. It can range in severity, so to say, but the longer we ignore the feeling of guilt, We may be able to stuff it down and numb it for a period of time, but we're never really going to be able to shut it off completely if we continue to do and act in doing the things that we know that we shouldn't do. It's our body and our mind, or maybe even our spirit's way of telling us that we should change our actions. If there's something that you are feeling guilty about, 
whether it's mom guilt or dad guilt or a larger type of guilt that you really need to address and stop doing, even though it might be difficult, I encourage you to listen to that voice inside of you telling you that. I encourage you to stop and assess where is this guilt coming from? What is it encouraging me to do differently? And why am I ignoring it? And how can I change so that I can get to be the person that I know that I really need to be? I encourage you to get my dad's book, Getting Past Guilt. I will say it was such an eye opener for me to understand how really in depth and overwhelming guilt can be to someone, especially someone who has done a lot of things that they feel really guilty about. And it really allowed me to have empathy for others in my life that are dealing with that. And even for me, when I came into areas where I felt guilty about things that I had done in the past, it helped me to be able to forgive others, but it also helped me to be able to forgive myself and ultimately understand the height, the depth, and the width of God's forgiveness for each and every one of us. Friends, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Remember to go and subscribe to this podcast and leave an honest review. I love to hear from you guys. So be sure to go and do that. And it will also help more people find the podcast as well. You can always find out more information by going to itstartswithattraction.com for show notes, for updates, and to join the email list so that every Friday you can get an encouraging email that specifically tells you what you can do to work on your pies so that you can become the best that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Until next week, keep working on your pies and stay strong.